When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with me is pro football focus writer and data analyst Eric Eager. Eric, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Have you been uh, hovering over your calculator, punching in football numbers this offseason so far? Uh, yeah, along with my abacus. Because <laughs> um, when you watch when you watch old football games, you can't use like current techniques. So that's what I that, that's kind of uh, what I've been working with. Now I hope you saw today that there's some more data that's going to be given out to teams. They're going to track more players and things like that. And Tom Pelissero wrote that some teams feel like they have a competitive disadvantage because other teams are using more analytics. And I think that's the funniest thing ever. Like, well, you have the option of just trying to use more analytics, you know? Yeah, and the, the, as we know at PFF, because we've started kind of building analytics, I think, for the last year plus, is that, like, you, you know, it just simply takes time to be able to understand all that data. And it seems like, I'm guessing, the Patriots and the Eagles and, and those types of teams have already put in, you know, that those years of like work, those teams will be behind that haven't started until now. So I think that that's, like, as you said, funny because, like, these teams should have been able to see this coming for years, but, um, you know, not not un- not incorrect, actually, on their end. So I want to uh, talk with you about the free agency, and you can give me some numbers insight if you have it and uh, different things with the Minnesota Vikings players who might fit uh, because not everybody has the time on their hands to eat cereal and watch uh, – game tape like i do in the off season which is kind of a lot of of what i've been doing researching articles and writing different things about free agents who will fit the minnesota vikings so i think we can agree on and you can tell me if if you have uh, some disagreement here that the main positions we need to look at are offensive line the defensive tackle position specifically the three technique because they're set with linval joseph um, the nickel corner position and any other additional weapons outside of a running back, maybe a number three running back. Uh, do, do you agree with that? Yeah, and then quarterback. But that one's kind of on everybody's mind, right? We haven't talk, uh, talked about that at all, actually, on the Purple Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Quarterback? <laughs> I'm unsure about that. So I, what I'm doing uh, is coming out with a list of my top 30 
potential targets for the Vikings in free agency, which does not open until March 14th, so we've got plenty of time to run through it. So I want to get your opinion, Eric, on some of these free agents that I think the Vikings should be interested in. So if we start with the offensive line, it's a it's a debate between whether you think the Vikings should bring in a tackle and move Mike Remmers to guard or if they should look at potential guards who could fill the spot. Uh, where do you think the more talent exists if the Vikings are trying to just plug that hole and then maybe even potentially draft a guy in the first round who could start or maybe not start? But if they're looking just purely from a free agent standpoint, is there better options at the guard or the tackle position, you think? I think, like, you know, with Nate Soldier available uh, from New England, um, you know, very good as a run blocker last season, a little bit weaker in pass protection. You can go that direction with sort of like the traditional uh, tackle. Um, but, uh, you know, sort of aside from that, I mean, I think you're looking kind of at guys like, you know, Zach Fulton, Justin Pugh, who have a lot of, like, versatility, a lot like some of the, the, the Vikings players have. And so if I'm Minnesota, I mean, I might take a shot at Nate Soldier, but but probably more looking at kind of interior guys that can play a lot of different positions, especially, um, you know, like the Zach Bolton, you know, Zach Bolton, for example, for Kansas city has spent a significant amount of time at left guard in 2016 uh, when uh, their draft pick that season got injured. He spent a lot of time at center in 2017 when Mitch Morris got injured. That's somebody that I, you know, would look at Uh, same thing with Justin Pugh's kind of got that like tackle guard flexibility from uh, the giants. Um, you know, it doesn't appear that, that uh, Joe Berger is going to come back or if he, you know, he's, he's a free agent otherwise. And so you have to, you know, figure out one of the guard positions already. And, you know, Nick Easton was, you know, he was serviceable last year. He did a lot of good things in the screen game and in out space, but he's not, he's surely not like a, a sure thing. And, you know, Pat Alphine even has, you know, had a major injury uh, during the NFC championship game. So I think, you know, the, the interior of the line, is I think a little bit more of a question mark than if you just say, okay, we have you know Riley Reef, Mike Remmers, and uh, Rashad Hill at tackle. That's passable. You know, let's let's stick with that and see if those guys improve. Now, uh, Andrew Norwell was the highest rated, and the interesting thing about Andrew Norwell to me though is that when you look a little more in depth, he was not very active in the screen game for the Carolina Panthers. And I think that that's one of the things that the Vikings want to continue to do, especially with Delvin Cook. I could see Delvin having 50 or 60 catches next year on screens. So when they look at this position, uh, I think that they want to focus on the type of player as much as just the pure talent of the player. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, so Norwell, fantastic. You know, both as a run blocker and a pass blocker last year. Didn't give up a sack or a quarterback hit the entire year. And that's what you know, Cam Newton somewhat of a – uh, of a player that likes to hang out of the ball. I just don't know, like the Vikings historically with uh, Rick Steelman have never really gone out of their way to, to, to sign the Kelechi Semeles and the, you know, the players like the, the uh, Mitchell Schwartz, even uh, if you look out at the tackle position, I don't know necessarily if they have that kind of like appetite for somebody who I think is going to command a huge contract. You know, last season, you know, Kevin Zeitler at guard uh, went to Cleveland, you know, they haven't really had, I think, the appetite to go after interior alignment specifically. Um, but even like sort of like the top end players in the free agent pool, they really haven't done that much, uh, you know, historically. So, I, you know, Norwell is an option, but I'd be really surprised if they went out of their way to, to spend the money on him. Yeah, and even uh, the Alex Boone deal did not work out very well. They uh, pulled the shoot on that pretty quickly. 
So the tackle position and moving Mike Remmers into guard. I did not like Mike Remmers as a left guard, but I did like Mike Remmers as a right guard. Uh, the way that he played in week 17 against the Bears against Akeem Hicks was pretty impressive. Uh, so if they were to try to shuffle things around, would it be better to sign Nate Soldier and maybe move Riley Reef to the right tackle? Or was... or? I mean, what what would be, you think, the best option there? Is Riley Reef a better right tackle than left tackle? Yeah, I think people, I think that that's the, the, the idea is that when you have a tackle and he's a little weaker, have a move to right tackle. And there's some statistical basis for that. If you perform poorly at left tackle, it costs your team more than performing poorly at right tackle. Um, but what we saw, I think, um, with Reef at right tackle in 2016 was that he, he wasn't exactly as good of a run blocker um, by our grades that you would expect that he was as a left tackle. So it was some sort of adjustment there that didn't necessarily, um, you know, jive with him. But last season as a left tackle, he was, you know, he was also not quite as good at run blocking as he had been historically. So I don't know. I think, you know, re- having Remmers at right guard or at uh, left guard was certainly not something, uh, you know, strong for them in the playoffs, but at right guard, as you said, he had a very good week 17 game. So, um, I don't know. I think the the real issue there is if you're going to commit to Remmers at guard, you really do have to um, at least get somebody at tackle to compete. Um, you know, because as as we saw in the playoffs, Rashad Hill simply um, you know needs to either improve or needs to be a backup in this league because he's had he had a ton of difficulty there. Yeah, well, I think Hill did a really nice job uh, throughout the season just filling in. But being asked to go up against the Cameron Jordans and Brandon Grahams of the world was a little much for a guy that's just a, a very solid backup. And, and I thought overall you'd be happy with what he did, but uh, at the end there it was pretty tough. I th- two other names that came to mind for me, uh, Josh Klein from Tennessee, and one guy who you just, maybe on name alone, you would put this guy on your list would be Jack Muhort, who was not one of <laughs> PFF's highest rated, but did really well in the screen game. And I just think that that's going to be so important. He was also a pretty good pass blocker, too. I think that's going to be so important for the Vikings that you can focus on a guy. This is what they did with Nick Easton, that you can focus on a guy who has some really good strengths, even if there are some weaknesses there. Yeah, both Muhort and and Klein were poor as pass as run run blockers a season ago, passable as pass blockers. I think the issue with Klein is Tennessee's offense was so much different than a lot of the offenses that we see in the league now. It's it's a difficult projection, right? But you know he does have experience over a thousand snaps last year. Um, you know, I I think I think for now, you know, your intuition about the fact that they just simply need bodies in there. Um, you know, and, and let and let folks sort of compete is a good one. And, and so if, if it needs to be somebody, you know, um, like Muhort who sort of hasn't played a ton of snaps, at least not last year, um, and, you know, and in fact last two years he's played less than 1,000 snaps, I think that'd be something that they can get him for a relatively inexpensive deal. Um, you know, that would be a good body to throw into the mix. And there's a very good draft class at the guard position, which we will cover as we get closer to the draft. I mean, I'm just looking at my off-season schedule yesterday, realizing how far we are away from the draft, how many mock drafts we will have to read between now and the time we actually get to the draft. Though I will be uh, covering the uh, NFL Combine from Indianapolis in a few weeks, so that'll be fun. So moving on from the offensive line to the defensive side and the defensive tackle position, 
Some really intriguing options here for me. Tom Johnson could come back. I mean, I, I think he did a really good job considering that they asked him to play 70% of the snaps, and that generally wasn't what he had done throughout his career. He had been a situational pass rusher, and then to be a full-time starter on a team that was the number one defense in the league, I, I thought he stepped up his game last year. But at 33 years old, maybe not a guy you want to bring back as just the reliable full-time starter. And the options that catch my eye the most are Sheldon Richardson, which would be pretty scary if you had Sheldon Richardson and Linval Joseph, but it will also cost you a lot of money. And I like the idea of Don Terry Poe. Even though he is a nose tackle, he's also created a good amount of pressure for Atlanta last year. And I just think of back in the day at one point, and Vikings fans will know these names, the Bills had Pat Williams and Ted Washington on the same defensive line, and they were number one. They were number one in the NFL in rush defense. And I just imagine two guys at three fifty who can both rush the passer enough being plopped in the middle of that def, that defensive line. I I don't think that that fits what Mike Zimmer wants to do. I think he wants a more athletic three technique defensive tackle, or or at least a quicker one. But I still think that that idea would be amazing to have those two giant guys. What? How do you think? Um, that plays out with the three technique position. Yeah, I mean, I think so. We we talked about this. I think uh, a few you know a few days ago. I view the Dontari Poe situation as being kind of a rich man's um, Shamar Stefan, where the guys kind of should be a nose tackle, and you're playing him at the three technique, and you're going to be strong against the run because of it, but you're going to have a little bit less uh, success rushing the passer now. Paul was actually pretty good a season ago, um, you know, generating pressure. I believe he had something like, you know, 36 total pressures, even though he only had two sacks or so. So he can get pressure. I think if you're going to sign Poe, you have to do what the Chiefs didn't do with him early in his career, which is play him less. So 500, 600 snaps, give him a break. Um, you know, that, that would be a good option. I don't think he'd be too expensive in, in relation to Richardson. I think Richardson's a fantastic player. He, you know, he was, very good, you know, very well graded against the run. And he had 36 pressures despite, you know, sort of coming into a defense very late into the, into training camp. You know, he, uh, he, I think he'd be, you know, worth the money as kind of a, a two way uh, player, a guy that can play, you know, over the guard uh, on, on base downs and then over the center on, on, you know, pass rushing downs. He'd be a, sort of a perfect compliment there. Um, I think probably what they're going to converge to though is something like, you know, having a Tom Johnson, Dontari Poe sort of platoon kind of thing, that would be, to me, I think, where they would try to split the difference there. Um, and then, of course, I think what they really need is, is, a, is a third defensive end that can swing inside on pass rush downs and do kind of what Brian Robinson uh, was sort of incapable of doing uh, this past season, which is getting a ton of pressure on the interior of the defense. So I've got another idea for that. Don't let me forget it. When we get to the defensive backs, I've got another idea for those third down pass rush situations. Just remind me when we get there. But sticking with that, do you have a guy that would be a rotational pass rusher? Somebody caught my eye with uh, players who could be released as far as a defensive end who could come in. That's Michael Johnson of the Cincinnati Bengals. Mike Zimmer would have a lot of knowledge of Michael Johnson and uh, a guy who into his 30s has been fairly effective but not anywhere as good as his peak, but he had five sacks last year. I think that that's an intriguing name if he's released by Cincinnati. Is there somebody else that stands out to you? 
Yeah, I mean, you, your intuition is great there because um, when you – I used to do a lot of uh, Cincinnati Bengals games my first few years at PFF, and that Brian Robinson stand-up over the center position was Michael Johnson's position in Cincinnati, uh, you know, sort of playing that base left end, you know, base right end, and then coming in on nickel situations and, and kind of rovering around. I think, you know, he's been far less effective compared to his, you know, to his name. Um but, you know, as, as a situational guy, I think that he would be great. Um, a, a couple of names that I particularly like, I like William Hayes, who, if you remember from, like, Hard Knocks or whatever, is a guy that doesn't believe in dinosaurs but believes in uh, mermaids, that guy. Um, but he's actually, he's actually, like, been a really effective, like, run stuffer, both for the Rams and then last season for the Dolphins. And then, you know, he, is, he can provide a little bit of a punch um, as a pass rusher. And I think he'd be a kind of a, a good player who could, you know, if you wanted to play him at three technique on longer downs, he would still be sturdy enough in case another team tried to run run the football. And then as kind of a, a base end that can take some pressure off Hunter on early downs, but also um, not be a complete, um, you know, washout in, in a in a pass rushing game. I think he would be a great player for them to take a look at. Um, uh, yeah, that was one that really stood stood out to me. Also, there's a restricted free agent, David Irving, who played for Dallas. You know, he was he had a suspension for steroids, basically, and I, I thought he was very effective this year. They'd have to probably give up some compensation for that, but um, he's somebody kind of, you know, three technique or you know maybe even swing to the outside a little bit on on, on uh, early downs. He'd be a, an intriguing prospect uh, if I was looking. Just as an aside, uh, restricted free agents is the most they're the most ignored awesome market of players that are so worth it when it comes to giving up a second round or third round pick correct if you think about last year with adam thielen i believe they put a second round tender on him can you imagine if the green bay packers had offered adam thielen some crazy offer that just couldn't be turned down because they saw him up close twice they should have known we all knew how good he was after last year if they had offered him some really big contract that the vikings couldn't match give the vikings a second round pick and you get a number one wide receiver back it would have been incredibly worth it for any team in the nfl and i can't believe that nobody put down i mean maybe they did i don't know if who called his agent or whatever else but i'm a little surprised that no one topped the offer that the vikings put out there considering how good thielen was in 2016 it's like for some of these teams they don't have the foresight oh he needs to prove it well we don't have time for that you need to be able to pick out whether he's for real or not and i think anybody who watched that 2016 season was not surprised by what he did this year so that's an aside uh two more names that i have for the potential three technique spot or just or even guys that can rotate in uh bo allen and benny logan uh both with philadelphia connections but benny logan played for kansas city um if they're going to try to use that position as stacking up some talent, two or three players to rotate in, which I think is a good idea. Those two guys should be on their list. Yeah. Bo Allen, I think has ties to Minnesota. I think he either grew up here or something like that, but yeah, he, he was part of that, you know, situational like you know, rotation with Philadelphia. That was very effective. Um, I think Benny Logan was a little bit of a disappointment last season for the Chiefs, but as you said, if they, if they had him in a, in a role situation where he wasn't playing or expected to play, uh, that many snaps, he could probably be effective. So let me get to the thing with the defensive back. We could talk about nickel corner here. 
I think that this year, especially if Brian Robinson retires, what the Vikings should consider on some third downs and long, especially on the road where they struggled against the, the Philadelphia Eagles, um, potentially putting in signing another more versatile defensive back and putting in five defensive backs, one linebacker being Eric Kendricks and lining up Anthony Barr over the guard in the Robison role to rush the passer. What do you think of that? Yeah. I mean, it took the words out of my mouth. I was watching, um, watching the Super Bowl back. Uh, and, um, so here's, here's the example. So the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles in the, in the Super Bowl played 75 defensive snaps. Um, Corey Graham played 63 of them um, in their sort of like dime role. It, as as sort of an aside, the second linebacker on on the Eagles, uh, Michael Kendricks, brother of Eric Kendricks, played 32 snaps. So they were, you know, and of course they're playing like a high powered offense in the, in the New England Patriots. But that one of the best defenses in the league and one of the highest leverage games in the league. They played three linebackers three times all game. They played two linebackers 32 times all game. And then they they opted to play sort of a three safety nickel, three safety dime. Their their third safety was playing, you know, 63 of 75 snaps. And you know, I think that that's how you contain the modern passing game. It has been something that you and I have talked about, you know, a lot. You know, trying to use Anthony Barr in advantageous ways, um, you know, down as a down lineman or, or you know, simply in like a three, two, six nickel or dime or something like that. But it is something that the Vikings have been very hesitant to do. And I think to, to, to this point in their sort of like development as a defense, Andrew Sandejo has proved himself to be a competent second safety. I think now is the time for them to look at a third safety to sort of play that kind of role. So I have the perfect name for this. He might as well be Corey Graham's doppelganger because they're so similar that uh, Graham, who I wanted the Vikings to sign last year, uh, yep. a, a very – intelligent player who at one time was a good corner for the Ravens, but then rotated back to safety when he signed with the bills. Uh, Darius Butler follows a lot of that same path where he was a, a very good corner for a while, got to his thirties, didn't have quite the giddy up and they moved him back to safety this year. His grades aren't quite as good, but his first year playing safety 2016, he was graded very well. This seems like the perfect guy to come in and play a handful of snaps. And then if something bad happens to Harrison Smith or Anderson Deo, you can mix him in with Anthony Harris, who I thought played pretty well, but he would be an even better option, especially on pass downs. And you can sort of use those two situationally um, if anyone goes down. Uh, what do you think of the idea of getting a guy who can play both corner or safety uh, maybe almost like a Terrence Newman type player that's a veteran and has been around. Yeah, I mean, I I really do like that. And I so another uh, another name that I've liked and I've sort of linked him to Kansas City a few times. But I like Morgan Burnett. Um, he was a player that you know for a long time was a very plus safety, you know, a deeper guy. Um, but last season, I think of his 750 snaps, like 350 of them were at linebacker, and another like 240 of them were at slot cornerback. So you know, a guy, and, and I think that that's actually like a, a fairly good thing. If you have a player who is versatile, Harrison Smith this way, right? If, if you, if you can ask Harrison Smith to do 10 things, you only have to ask Andrew Sandejo to do one or two. And you got a guy like Morgan Purnett who can do three or four things. Then you only have to ask, you know, like I said, Andrew Sandejo or Trey Waynes or like you never have to ask Trey Waynes to go inside because, you know, they, they have enough versatility there. Yeah. I think, you know, 
another name you know, might be a little bit cheaper would be Eddie Pleasant, a guy who mm-hmm. you know has been a dime linebacker for Houston for uh, a few years, has graded really well and has been pretty productive. I, I do think that, and I do think that that is a, a, a market inefficiency in the NFL right now, much the same way as Nickel Corner was a couple of years ago, where you can get those guys for relatively inexpensive, and they will bring a ton of value as guys that don't get don't get run over in the run game and can cover tight ends and running backs far better than traditional linebackers can. Now, Terrence Newman's status is up in the air. He said during Super Bowl week in a couple interviews that he would like to play again, but um, I'm not sure whether he will or not, if that decision will change after talking with the Vikings or or what's going to happen there. It seems like they were already playing with fire this year and got away with it, but bringing him back at 40 is, is even more so. Um, if they don't, there are uh, opportunities to upgrade here. And one of the guys that I mentioned last year and had a really great year with the Rams was Nikel Roby Coleman. Um, I, I, like, I mean, as you were just alluding to, there are options out there for guys who play nickel corner where you don't have to pay a ton of money for them. And they are essentially starters. They play 60 to 80% of the snaps. And some of them are legit star shutdown nickel corners. That's right. I mean, that's how you see a guy like Casey Hayward, who was on the Green Bay Packers. He was on the, you know, he was on the free agent pool for maybe like two or three weeks before anybody signed him, and then the Chargers signed him, and now he's one of the top five cornerbacks in the entire league. And the Chargers are getting a huge steal from him because his his like the knock on him was that he was only a nickel corner, as if that position is not important in today's NFL. I think what you're going to see is in this free agent pool, as you said, there's a ton of players who have inside outside um type you know ability and there's you know and the position is still i think somewhat undervalued so you're going to get you know nickel roby coleman at you know less than an 80 pass rating in his coverage he was on you know he was basically a free agent until sort of the wee hours of free agency before the rams picked him up and he was good patrick robinson is the guy that the vikings wanted to draft in 2010 and you know and they and they got uh they got caught by the saints uh, a few picks before he was fantastic this season. He was really good in 2015 as well. He has kind of inside-outside flexibility, but I think the the Eagles did a really good job of sort of just saying, hey, you're going to be our inside guy this year. And he was fantastic. He allowed a 70.1 rating into his coverage. And, of course, the Vikings, Vikings fans know that you know he was the one that returned the interception on Keenum early in that game right. uh, in the NFC Championship game. They also have, so if you look at, like, uh, a team like Jacksonville, uh, their slot corner, Aaron Colvin, He's a free agent coming up. He was he was quite good last season. And then, you know, you have like sort of like, you know, lower tier guys like Prince of Mukamara. He's got kind of inside outside flexibility. Um, and even kind of going down the, the list a little bit, you know, you have uh, a guy like uh, Sherrick McManus who played for the Bears. He's he's played nickel corner before, but I think what also he would add is like fantastic special teams play. The kind of like the ethos of the Vikings there would also be sh- uh, served by taking one of the Bears' best uh, kind of versatile players away from them and bring him onto a team that's already deep and, you know, looking for players like that kind of on the margin. So let me move to the skill spots and because I'm just going to bunch those all in. The number one guy for me is Trey Burton, the tight end from Philadelphia. I don't think that him being a successful player – just has to do with being on the Super Bowl team. That always tends to happen that if you play on the Super Bowl team, you're going to get overvalued, someone will overpay you, and that might end up being the case. But I think Burton is a pretty legit player, 
and he could be the successor, not not just for year one where he could come in and help, but then for after that he could take over for Kyle Rudolph, uh, who I think they might either restructure or move on from after next year looking at his contract situation. And Burton is a guy that ran a 4-6 in college. He's quick. Uh, he's got good hands. He was good in the red zone. Um, maybe he's not willing to go somewhere where they, they're not going to make him appear number one, uh, but I'm not sure how many offers he'll have for that. What, what do you think of that idea of adding another tight end who will bring some speed and is actually proven, unlike what the Vikings have done in the past, which is try to draft a guy in the fifth or sixth round? Yeah, I, so this this reminds me of another Vikings tight end that they signed who was sort of off, coming off of his first contract that hadn't gotten a ton of uh, you know exposure, which was Vasante Shanko who was yeah, Jeremy Shockey's backup tight end in New York. And, you know, similar kind of guy, ran a, ran a fast 40, um, caught the ball, was thrown to him, but wasn't thrown to a ton um, in New York and all those kinds of things. And eventually Shanko became a pretty good tight end for the Vikings. You know, Burton's kind of of that same ilk, about 350 snaps last year. He caught five touchdowns. He was very good, especially, you know, when, when they had Zach Ertz out against the Rams. He, you know, showed up very strong there. I, I do like that idea. I do like this idea of having Burton and uh, David Morgan as sort of the heir apparent couple to, you know, sort of take over for Kyle Rudolph. Another another one that I like, and it sort of uh, it sort of jives with our, our like for restricted free agents. I think Cameron Bray, the uh, a tight end that the Vikings should at least make Tampa Bay, um, you know, match an offer uh, to go, you know, to keep because you know Tampa Bay just used a, a high draft pick on OJ Howard. Cameron Bray's been fantastic the last year. It's kind of down the seam, uh, sort of a two-way player in that position. So um, he's a, he's another person I would like uh, in that spot. Um, and, you know, so those are my, sort of my two options at tight end. One of the things I think about all the time and did last year and now even more so after the Eagles won the Super Bowl is you can never have enough players at any of these positions. If you have four good wide receivers, then great. If someone gets hurt, then you've got three good wide receivers still. And with the tight end position last year, we saw Kyle Rudolph get hurt and they had no answer other than David Morgan. And Morgan's very good, but he's not any type of threat down the field as a wide receiver. He's a great blocker, but that's it and he's kind of limited to underneath passes where he can maybe truck for another couple of yards after the catch. Uh, But to have two or three tight ends where you can rotate them in, create personnel packages, well, I almost guarantee we will see the Vikings add another good tight end or proven tight end because of what the Eagles did with their three. When I watched back all the red zone touchdowns that the Eagles scored to try and get a sense for John Filippo and how he might uh, organize things in the red zone, all the time they were sending out three tight ends and throwing the ball. And that's what you have to do in today's NFL that we saw the Falcons do that a couple of years ago and the Vikings do it successfully sometimes with two tight ends and maybe even a fullback this year. So adding another tight end to me is very much at the top of the list and one more wide receiver. And there are a couple of guys that I really like out there. For this position, there's the playmaker-type wide receiver, a almost Cordero Patterson sort of maybe better version in Taylor Gabriel, who's not as big but is certainly fast. And the guy that's really likable on this list, Eric, is Paul Richardson of Seattle. Yeah, we have the same names, I think, because I – yeah, I like – so how did the Vikings, you know, 
what were, what was one way in which the Vikings failed on offense a season ago it was simply not settling on a third wide receiver. And I think what they really wanted to do is they wanted to find an, a third wide receiver that could play on the outside so that Adam Thielen could could work out of the slot. And it, you know, uh, Laquan Treadwell simply couldn't do it. Now Paul Richardson, you know, he has injury history. At, you know, tore his ACL at the very end of his rookie year, and I don't know how much he played his second year, but you know. The, the later parts of 2016 and then last season, 2017, he showed, you know, down the field that he can make plays, contested plays. He has enough speed to sort of get away from, you know, to get away from defensive backs once he has the ball. Um, he would be a very good option. And I also think given, you know, his injury history as well as like sort of being overshadowed by guys like Doug Baldwin and uh, Tyler Lockett in Seattle, he, will, he won't cost. I, I don't think as much as somebody uh, with his talent and skill set should cost. Gabriel's another nice guy, although again, I think you know those are always sort of like weird in the sense that like in 2016, Kyle Shanahan's a brilliant offensive coordinator. He's used fantastic in a fantastic way. You know, 2017 comes up and Steve Sarkeesian doesn't use it quite as effectively. So I really do think like if he's going to be on the Vikings, I think the same thing has to be said for like Darren Sproles or something like that. If he's going to be on the Vikings. The Vikings have to commit to using him in a way that's like not necessarily all that organic. They have to use him in a way that that's going to, you know, you're going to have to manufacture touches for him. Kind of like the Raiders didn't do with Cordero Patterson. If you're going to sign Cordero Patterson, you have to really build your offense to fit him or build in packages of plays that are just for Cordero Patterson to fit his skill set. And some offensive coordinators do not do that. But I get the sense that John Filippo is the type of guy who would. So I, I do like that idea. You mentioned Darren Sproles. That's a guy that's high on my list for the number three spot. You, is the number three running back, you're probably not going to get a ton of work considering it's Latavius Murray and Delvin Cook. But as a third down back, as a guy who can rotate out to the slot, they don't really have that. And I with Jarek McKinnon leaving. And McKinnon would be at the very top of my list to bring back, but I don't see him coming back. I think someone will pay him a little more money and make him a, another a top role player. He'll stay as a top role player like he was this year. So if you're going to lose him, then Sproles or someone like Rex Burkhead, who played for the New England Patriots, someone like that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I also think you kind of down the list a little bit, but somebody like Benny Cunningham. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking down the road at maybe possibly losing Marcus Sherrill as a kick returner, um, also looking at you know how much they you know they play the field position game uh, using you know the kicking game. Benny Cunningham's a fantastic special teams player. He's always been a very I think he's like something like fifth all time in kickoff return average, and you know he's a very good coverage man. Um, you know, as a third running back, as you said, it's not going to get a ton of work some games. It's sort of going to depend upon game flow. I think Benny Cunningham could very much play the, the uh, Corey Clement role uh, that, you know, Philadelphia had there. It was either third running back by the time it was all said and done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, that, that, that kind of role could be played by a guy like Cunningham very well. I will dig very deep into the names here on the free agent list to find J.D. McKissick, who – was really good receiving the ball. He only played about 300 snaps, but he was a nice little player for Seattle and might be a guy that you just bring in as your number three, and then he ends up providing more than anyone ever expected because you're not exactly going to make headlines, but you could get him for pretty cheap, and he would fit that role. Now, last thing for you, Eric. I don't know if you know this. You mentioned it earlier like you did, but... (laughs) 
the Vikings don't have a quarterback at the moment, except for Kyle Sloter. How do you see the Vikings quarterback situation playing out? And maybe you could two-part question, what do you think is the best option, and then how, what do you think they'll do? I think the best option for the Vikings is to is to see if they can sign Teddy Bridgewater to a two- to three-year deal at somewhere between 10 and $12 million a season and then convince a player like Josh McCown that you have this great opportunity to be a veteran backup and possibly play with a what 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 I think they're projecting to be a great offensive coordinator, a young offensive coordinator, you know, I think that that combination is probably the best way for them to go. Um, McCown had a pretty good season with the Jets, and the Jets had almost no talent offensively. So I think that he still has a little bit left in the tank as a great veteran backup, and he won't be too expensive. So I think that combination to me is what I think they should do. Um, as far as what they are going to do, um, I, I, the only thing that I'm, I'm fairly confident that they aren't going to do is they're not going to pay Case Keenum the type of starter money that's going to split the difference between, say, Kirk Cousins and Alex Smith. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fairly certain that, that, that that's I'm, – I'm getting almost no indication that they're willing to do that. Yeah, yeah, same here. That franchising him might be an option, but signing him to a five-year, $120 million deal is probably not. And it's amazing to me when I read on a daily basis the different things that get written and uh, different reporters talking to sources and on and on, that there was one report that Keenum cost himself a ton of money by not playing well in the playoffs, save for the Minneapolis miracle. But when you call it a miracle, you don't really think of it as something that's sustainable. And uh, there, uh, another report came out that they would not consider franchising him at all because he's just not even part of this conversation. And then uh, there was one report that said the transition tag is possible. So really, nobody knows nothing when it comes to this situation. Uh, but I, I think that what you laid out would be my ideal scenario. And McCown having previous experience with DiFilippo uh, makes that realistic. But there are still some things to to change and get sorted out as well. We don't know if the Bills are going to release Tyrod Taylor or if Ryan Tannehill becomes an option or things could get really interesting. And the the Vikings show us last year and the Eagles show us too that that what John Madden said back in the day, if you've got two quarterbacks, you've got none, that John was wrong. (laughs) If you've got two quarterbacks, then you're in great shape. And that's what you need in case your one goes down when you're in win now mode. So uh, I I, I think that you are right on with what they should do, but um, the Kirk Cousins thing is looming. What do you think of Kirk Cousins? I mean, I think if given the right supporting cast, he can be a, a very good quarterback. I mean, we've done, you know, at PFF, we, I think we do a pretty good job of sort of untangling, you know, what a quarterback does with, with what he's responsible with versus what the supporting cast does with what they're responsible with. And in the seasons where Cousins had the Deshaun Jacksons and he had the, the Jordan Reeds and the Chris Thompsons and everything healthy for him, he was, you know, he was very good. And and, you know, and, and not necessarily in, like, a championship-level good, right? So, like, I think you and I have discussed this. Like, I don't, I still don't think he's necessarily capable of, of taking a team to a Super Bowl and winning it. Um, but he can certainly put up the kind of numbers that if the rest of your team around you is fantastic, you have a chance. Now, that's like – but that, 
But then the the secondary part of that answer is exactly what the you know the premise was in the previous response is that we don't know like we're Vikings fans are sort of basing all their assumptions about Cousins on the fact that they're going to have the top two receivers in the NFL, the top you know duo that they're going to have the best defense in the NFL, and those things simply aren't as sustainable as how good a quarterback is on a season-to-season basis. And we've seen this. Like, 2015 Vikings defense was more than good enough to get them to the playoffs. The 2016 one was not. 2017 one was. You know, so you have, like, unsustainability defensively with injuries and poor play. And then, you know, the fact of the, fact of the matter is, like, they depend a lot on their two wide receivers. If those two guys fall or get injured or anything like that, um, then you're, you know, Kirk Cousins we're going to see is probably somebody similar to the 2017 version, which is sort of more of a third-tier quarterback that's, you know, making his fair share of, like, you know, production in terms of stats, but is not winning a ton of games and is not sort of moving the needle uh, for his franchise. So, uh, to me, that, that, like, sort of muddied answer is, is reason enough as to why they should not, you know, give him Garoppolo money. They should not, you know, maybe even – Alex Smith money to this point. Well, believe it or not, we will continue to discuss the quarterback situation as it plays out. Uh, I'm going to have an article coming up on fourth quarter performance when down in the fourth quarter, how Teddy Bridgewater and Kirk Cousins have performed and how that might make the difference in Mike Zimmer's mind. And Eric, I dug up a pretty interesting quote. This is a tease for the website to people to go visit it next week when I put out this article from Mike Zimmer from Draft Night that might make all the difference. So uh, you'll have to look forward to that. And also on our website, 1500ESPN.com, I will be counting down the top 30. So five will come out at a time all the way down to number one, the free agents that the Vikings could look at. So, Eric, your work at Pro Football Focus is fantastic. I urge people to sign up to be uh what do you got now you got different packages you could be a super elite a mega elite uber uber elite member right? we, we we call the we call the the, the latter package the, the plateau package oh oh yeah so, okay so that's the so super that's, so mega we have, we have uber edge. elite we have edge which gets you the quarterback annual which has a ton of data on guys like cousins and, and bradford and bridge you know, those kind of guys then we have the elite package which gets you now back to premium stats which we had given subscribers for a long time, took it away for a couple of years. If you, if you get a PFF elite package, you will get premium stats. And then if you're looking for sort of like an analytics uh, podcast, um, my colleague and I have just, have just started a podcast called the PFF forecast. And that comes up every week on about Wednesday. So, Go ahead and, and subscribe to that after you're done listening to the Purple Podcast every week. Of course. All right. Well, thank you, Eric. You can follow Eric on Twitter, Eric, E-A-G-E-R, I think. And, uh, right, is that your Twitter? It's spelled like the word, yep. Okay, all right. So Eric Eager uh, on Twitter and on ProFootballFocus.com as well. Thank you for all your good work, and thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.